friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love. Break them apart! Pro Wrestling Intro Back Hard to find out what gives them their magic. I am your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my female news anchor friend who is so horribly treated by every man in her fictional movie world and co-host. Alex Dan, Alex Dandino. That's definitely yeah. <laughs> Subverting yeah, genre. That's what we do on Film Alchemist. <laughs> uh, guys, I'm pretty much back to normal. Uh, still have a little throat tickle. These Midwestern sicknesses are real rough, but we're going to get through it. Um, of course, guys, the pod is in the middle of unleashing its inner beast this month. That is the theme. I hope you guys enjoy Ginger Snaps and Dog Soldiers. Um, such fucking awesome werewolf movies that I was glad to revisit. We yes. say probably the two biggest and most notable for last. Uh, so today we'll be doing the howling, uh, Joe Dante joint. Next, we will be doing American Werewolf in London, which was actually a shocking rewatching for me. Like the way I watched this movie this time was so insanely different than I imagined. Really? So I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, we're going to try to see if we can also finagle Jack Nicholson's wolf in so Alex can stop crying and tweeting at me all the time about it. Yes. 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 And next week, Jordan Peele's Us hits wide release. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, my God. I also, man, I cannot wait. Yeah, Twitter was all a, a buzz today because <laughs> he put out a tweet that just said Us is a horror movie. Yeah. And I was like, is this a thing people are like saying it's not scary enough, whatever? I'm like, I don't care what the fuck it is. I just want to see it really yeah, bad. I don't give a shit. Like, this is the thing I don't understand about people who go see Jordan Peele movies. I'm like, he's not making Key and Peele movies, guys. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's the thing I hate the most. It's it's such a blanket wuss criticism that people throw against horror movies is, besides just the generic, like, oh, horror is a lesser thing, but... It's always, oh, it's not really horror enough. So now you're like, oh, it's just bad, bad now for you. Like, you can't even, you don't want to give it the shield of, oh, well, it's still scary and fun, whatever. You're just trying to completely shit, right. it, shit on it without any real just cause. People are fucking So idiots. I'm not worried about it. Uh, I'm super excited for us. And also, early next month, um, when we're doing the daddy movie themes, we'll also be going to Pet Cemetery, which is very important father-son uh <laughs> Movie lesson. This is a very yeah. important that uh, fatherly actually lesson. could not have synced up at a nicer time. I think that's pretty good. I know. So as you're learning, this is a really good one. Like those fuckers are fast. Watch the. <laughs> but uh, so we'll probably be watching the old, and we'll be going to the theater to see the new. I think the so. early buzz on Pet Cemetery is insane. Yeah, I uh, I read an early review on Slash Film today, and it seems uh, scary as hell. Is what everyone's saying. Yeah, people are saying it plays as this really great dark comedy, and then turns into raw madness by the third act. Perfect. Super in for that. So we have some really cool stuff coming up, guys. Uh, of our kind of old movies and our new movies. So we'll hopefully we'll hit you wherever you guys want to be on the movie-watching spectrum. Uh, and as always, we'd like to start the show with a little bit of, of uh, pleading down on our knees. Guys, if you like the show, which hopefully you do if you're finding us now, if you could take a second, follow our socials, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. We actually have uh, the Film Alchemist Pod. I think it's just filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can email us with ideas for movies you want to see us talk about or anything. Any, anything of the top. Yeah, just yeah. shoot us anything. We love to correspond with you guys and help craft the show the way you guys would like it to. 
Um, also, if you can leave a rating and review and just share the, the pod with some of your friends yeah. so we can help grow this thing and find new, uh, more awesome movies and better ways to talk about them, guys. Uh, yeah. But enough of that. We appreciate the help, guys. We just, you know, it's an obligatory. I like you of guys giving us ideas for curations. I, I personally, I can tell you, like, I like finding common lynch, common linkages between very different movies. Like, for instance, I love uh, like late nineties, late nineties, early two thousands, like rom coms and shit, because they all sort of run the gamut of the same actors, and I love seeing those movies like link up, like. Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard are in like four movies consecutively over four years. And I'm like, those movies are definitely intertwined in the same. I'm universe. the judge who's going to hit my gavel because now you're making an impassioned plea for the Freddie Prince Jr. theme. I'm not. I actually am just saying. I think I I, I would not I would not inflict that on Griff. Uh, but I would. I'll like do it. Guys, I, I put you through a lot on this show. No, a lot of Swedish horror movies and stuff. So I, I'm willing to do it. I want you guys to come up with your own, uh, like, find a common linkage among actors in some sort of time period, and I think we can probably find a really fun theme within them. We will definitely make it uh, work, guys. Yeah. So now, The Howling. Woo! Um, Alex, had you ever seen The Howling before this? I saw The Howling, like, when I was probably 14 years old. And, uh, that, like, and, like, it was just <laughs> one of those movies on at Halloween. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, I'll watch this. I can tell you right now, my experience watching it this time was very different from when I was 14 years old and, like, not paying attention. <laughs> like, I registered American Werewolf in London. This movie, like, blew past me after I saw it. I'm like, cool, whatever, that was a werewolf movie, yeah. Like, did not make a, did not make a splash the way I expected it to. But this time, wow, what an experience. I, uh... <laughs> I forgot like how fucking awesome Joe Dante was like in the eighties. Like Joe Dante pretty much owns the eighties, I think. Well that was one of my first things is I, I was dead sure that this took place at the end of the seventies and I was like, Oh fuck, this is eighty one. Like this is an early eighties thing. Yeah, yeah. And it plays very eighties, right? Like in my mind I so had this slated in as like easy rider with werewolf orgies. <laughs> you know what I, I, don't I mean? Think like, you're far off though. <laughs> I actually think the I think the holdover from the seventies lives in the howling to be honest with you. Yeah, this, I mean, it, it's close enough, but... I mean, it might take place that, in 1981. You can feel some yeah. of the building blocks of what became 80s genre horror to me. Oh, 100%. But this is like... It like, feels a much more 80s than I had remembered it. I think this is a movie that lives within, like, that 70s genre of filmmaking. And, like, again, like, you even get your Roger Corman open. Like, you get your Roger Corman cameo. Like, there are things in this movie that are strictly from the 70s. Like, especially just the general premise of, like the colony and all that kind of shit. That is like a seventies setup through and through. Like it's interesting in how everything's cyclical because that idea and that concept of like a group of people are gathered for some sort of purpose, some sinister whereabouts uh, is almost coming back now with like, we saw it in like get out last year. And then uh, Ari Aster's got a new movie coming out this summer called Midsommar. Like that's the kind of stuff that I think we're going to start seeing a little more is like, you get this great contained narrative because it doesn't have to be beholden to like ge geography or anything. You can just say, oh, it's this fucked up group of people that are out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of some sort of area, and we'll just tell that contained story in there, and that's that. I love that kind of shit, and the howling does it to the nth degree. It's a fucking blast. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely seeing this resurgence of we're so interconnected, everyone's so wired in the let's escape the world and go start anew in the woods. Yeah, yeah. And those people are always 
quirky, I think, is the nicest way to put that. <laughs> so they make good characters, man. I, yeah. I like, and it works really well with the werewolf thing, too. Another thing I did not realize, this and American Werewolf came out the exact same year. Yeah. that Not only did it come out the exact same year, Rick Baker was originally the one doing the effects on this, and then he left to do American Werewolf in London, and his assistant took over doing all the effects for The Howling. Yeah. And these movies are actually considered two of the best like werewolf effects movies in a long time. Oh, well, it's so fun. I had forgotten how... I mean, the transformation scene, each movie has one really big transformation scene. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I always remembered American Werewolves being so long, right? And I think I timed it. It's under three minutes. The one in The Howling feels so insanely long that they actually have cutaway shots of Dee Wallace where it looks like she's, like, in terror, but then it also looks like she looks up at, like, a clock. Like, <laughs> come on, guy. Let's yeah. get this over with, Eddie. Come on. Totally. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it just it plays the same, right? The Looking at the hand, the fingers extending. Um, they have so many great. I love the snout extending and the lips quivering as you see, like the gums that and fangs. Is, that is always one of my all-time favorite like beats when they put that into a werewolf transformation. Like that, the snout extension is like one of the coolest ones. I fucking love that bit. Yeah, see, I like the long ears on these. I was telling you this last time. I uh, like yeah. the long ears on the how. Because the dog soldier werewolves look like they're in the vein of the howling, right? Because they're yeah. bipedal. Bipedal, yep. They also have like long, almost like rabbit ears. Because I'm also like, I'm very partial to long-eared Batman, like comically long-eared right, Batman. Right, yeah. I don't know what it is about that. I just, I really fucking dig it. Um, but yeah, man, I this transformation is insanely fucking cool. But I think what's really fun about this one is... They do just find a nutty cast of characters. Well, it's all it, character actors. There's not a single right. leading person in this movie. It's well, like, all I even character forgot. actors. The guy who just works at the bookstore is, you know, our recently departed Dick Miller. Yeah. Yes. It's such a good because and it, it was so funny because I was just watching back and all of a sudden I saw him. And every time I see Dick Miller, I get this little rise of euphoria like, oh, he was just always the guy in all of the most important movies of my childhood. It right. felt like, right? Like, he was just that guy. And so he's this, he plays this great character where he's just kind of small, diminutive guy, but he always plays this very tough, very street smart. Like, no one's going to out hustle me. No one's going to get me. I always got my eye on the prize. Right, right. Uh, but he's running like an occult bookstore, right? Yeah. And there are moments where he starts spouting off. Like, he actually really knows a lot about lycanthropes. <laughs> right. But also, he's like, Are you fucking kidding me? I'm selling books. You want a book? I'll buy it. I'll sell you a book. Whatever. <laughs> But I was like, I love the mix of like the street smart, uh, world tough and savvy Dick Miller, but he's an occult book salesman. I was like, that's like the perfect Dick Miller role. Oh, yeah, he's amazing. I fucking loved it. It was such a nice little cameo to throw in. I think the other one that I really, really love is well, actually, there's there's three, but the it goes in order. Like, I love when Kevin McCarthy's in these movies. Like, Kevin McCarthy's mm -hmm. one of my all time favorite character actors, and he's he's the station manager. Um, yeah. But he's also been in like he was in the Twilight Zone movie, and most importantly, he was in the original uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the Dante. The original Piranha, original Piranha. Yeah, he's like a fucking Joe Dante <laughs> mainstay. Like I love, I love seeing the Kevin McCarthy movies. He has like one of the most expressive faces in movies, and I absolutely adore him as an actor. Um, he's got other, that thing when he makes like a grimace face, where his nostrils now are like yeah. five inches long. Yeah, it's amazing. Like he <laughs> looks like he was drawn. That's the best part. Like actors yeah. who look as if they were drawn by someone are so amazing. And he's one of those like classical 
character actors who you remember and you never know his name because his name's Kevin McCarthy. It's kind of like I know a Kevin McCarthy in just real life. Like that's the kind of thing you're just like, oh yeah, Kevin McCarthy. But like yeah, one of our worst congressmen is Kevin McCarthy. There you go. <laughs> but then uh, Robert Picard is uh, is a Picardo. Robert Picardo is uh, he was he's in uh, famously he's in uh, uh, Star Trek Voyager, but he's like the uh, serial killer werewolf in this one. Yeah, um, Eddie. Eddie, yeah. yeah, Eddie Quist, which is fucking awesome. And then my all-time favorite that no one really knows because he mainly has been a director, but Dennis Dugan is the guy who's like the um, he's the like investigator on the hunt with the other uh, with the other woman. Uh, he's direct. He directed like a bunch of Adam Sandler movies, and he also he's like <laughs> he directed Happy Gilmore, and he also played like the uh, pro am tour manager or whatever is like that guy. He's mm-hmm. in that movie, but he's this is like the first movie I've ever seen him in as like a young man. It's bizarre because I'm yeah. so used to seeing him like behind the camera and then in Happy Gilmore. So you see Roger Corman waiting to get into yeah, the payphone. Booth. Roger Corman cameo. Like this movie is it's fun, man. This movie's perfect. Joe Dante, like perfect. Yeah, I uh, man, the thing that struck me was I forgot because I, I don't think you actually see any werewolf action really until about 48 minutes in. Oh yeah, like this is not an exceptionally long movie. So I was like, wow. But I, for some reason, it just did not register with me how heavily the sexual assault plays at the start. Oh yeah, Whew. wow. And this is baffling because they they start you with in this news station with the basic like, here's this guy hawking the book, right? Yeah, like yeah. I think it's called like Wild or Beast or whatever, right? And the whole premise, right? He's like, uh, repression is the cause of depression in man. Uh, we're fighting our inner urges. This is what's causing all of our societal problems. We need to, and I'm like, oh, cool, foreshadowing to like werewolves. All right, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And then just out of nowhere, there is this plan that we see that is about to unfold where, hey, some guy has been calling me and leaving very disturbing uh, sexual messages. Yeah. And the cops are like, you should definitely go meet that guy and we'll definitely be ready to bust him. And we just see immediately as we go into this room with the husband that they are so ill-prepared. Yeah. Like, these these cops are terrible. She goes into the payphone. (laughs) And this is Dee Wallace's character, right? This is her other fighting giant dog movie. Yeah. This is a role she's very good at, right? (laughs) And uh, (laughs) Other fighting giant dog movie. Well done. Right? She goes into the payphone booth. This is the first step of the plan. And she's like, you guys good for this plan? And they're like, uh, sure. And then immediately like static payphones, We're fucked. Call these two beat cops that are just driving around judging pedestrians. <laughs> and they immediately lose her <laughs> And without a go sign or anything. She's like, all right, I, I've got the green light. Like I'm taking this all the way to the dirty pornography bookstore down right. the road and just goes in. And then immediately, I think I had forgotten a lot of this. I remembered Eddie being like almost like a you got to help me type. And that is so not what is happening here. <laughs> she Ew. walks in to a nudie booth. He drops a quarter in on like a hardcore rape film. And then just yeah. starts in with like, I have watched you from afar and I like you a lot. And I can light your whole body up. I want to give you something. Yeah. And it, it does have a, the double entendre, right? Because we know that this is a werewolf movie as well. Right. Well, I think but it, that's it's so fucking. It's actually one of the scarier moments in the movie, right? Because think... you immediately realize that. I mean, granted, this plan was seemed very foolhardy to begin with, but 
this woman is some severe, scary fucking peril. Right. And then you just throw in the bonus of, oh, yeah, the pervert also is a, turning into a werewolf because I can hear his voice distorting. I think that's the <laughs> thing I like. Yeah, like, this is the thing I like the most about this. Like, the Joe Dante of it all is the thing that I always love because I had forgotten he had directed this movie. And I realized, like, this is kind of what he does best. And, like, because, yeah, I forgot that literally we have to watch, like, a snuff film before anything starts happening. I'm like, God, this is so uncomfortable and weird and awkward. Yeah. And why are we doing this? And, yeah, like, the cops are, like, the absolute worst police officers in the history of existence. Like, I, I cannot believe, like. Well, also, when the beat cop busts in, he just starts shooting just through starts the door. Just starts fucking shooting through the door. And then the, <laughs> and then the best part is the, uh, the cops He didn't like, even get through the fucking sperm-covered bead curtain before no, he just starts He just fucking starts fucking blasting. unloading. And the best is, like, <laughs> the other bead cop's like, put your piece away. You don't want anyone to see that. And I'm like, okay, so these cops have clearly totally done this before. Like, just yeah. fucking shot up a nudie booth. I'm like, well, yeah. fuck it. Whatever. Like, this is not the first peep show that has a lot of bullet holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is like the precursor for like Boondock Saints, basically. It's such a bizarre, like, it's such a bizarre opening because you're right. Because I remember watching, I remember watching the movie when I was younger and kind of like, because it was on commercials, I'd go back and forth to it because it's called The Howling. I'm waiting for werewolves and like, they don't show up at all. Like, you do not get into werewolf stuff. So you really have to kind of be locked into the story. And, I always love this, and this is something that the '80s do. The '80s did way better than the '90s with horror, uh, with werewolf movies, which was they played so much more with the like inner man being the beast. Like that's the thing that I love the most about really the ones we've watched a lot. Uh, like not not necessarily Ginger Snaps, but particularly these last two that we'll be mm-hmm. watching. Like that's the thing that's so wonderful about the '80s is they didn't have the makeup effects of the CGI. They had makeup effects, not CGI to kind of like cover their bases. So what Mm -hmm. they did instead was really make this about like, who's really worse? Like, is it animal or is it man? Like, that's the kind of shit that I think makes this genre so much better and so much more interesting to watch in general is the conversation shifts from being like, oh, that was really scary. And, you know, that was a crazy transformation to like. Is it really, you know, Christopher Stone is such a bigger piece of shit in this movie than any fucking <laughs> werewolf. Like, I, that's the thing I love the most about this is they really, 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 it's perfect, like, low-budget horror. It's it's really fun to watch. Yeah, it's well, I mean, think about. It's, it's, it's the trick of, right? Like, oh, like you said, we don't have, like, the big budget to, like, go at it constantly. So it's it's a really clever open where they, they layer the the psychiatrist telling people to unleash their inner beast right immediately with a uh, a faceless man becoming his the the kind of beast that accepts his darkest inner urges right right and is willing to cuz that's what the psychiatrist in the book that obviously no one was calling him on during the <laughs> newscast is right. uh a lot of times when someone would sink to this level of embracing their inner urges there inherently must be a prey for those urges right and so what it does is you have this learned educated like accented kind of man right this thurston howell type saying (laughs) yes do exactly this this is what we need i'm saying if you repress that causes problems then immediately we go and see the the depths with which a, a human being can go right and it's it's such a fucking scary and repulsive moment. Like we through just like very strong visual technique, right? We're all put in that booth. 
So, like, you're already watching this snuff film, so it puts you in this, oh, God, like, we could be in the middle of this. And then you feel D. Wallace. D. Wallace has this unfucking believable ability to project on her face this kind of shock at the world and circumstance she's in that immediately transports that fear into me. <laughs> so as you're watching it, you're just like, oh, my God. You feel like you're about to be accosted by a faceless kind of scumbag, right? Right, right. And then what they really do that's so good is they – when she goes outside, right, they, they're they rolling a guy out. She's sitting on the, the police car kind of shell-shocked. And they do these amazing, like, very fucking kind of Sam Raimi close-up, a little off-kilter shots yeah. of these, like, faces in the crowd kind of staring at her and judging her as if, what was she doing in that store? How did she bring this on herself? And they're, it's so fucking beautiful the way that plays out, right, is that this kind of rippling effect of trauma and, like, the real-life consequences of, like, becoming a broken person. Yeah, and I love it, It's that. really fucking clever, man. It and is. It, and the other thing this movie did so much more than I remembered is it constantly shows you the struggles that a woman is going through at this time, right? So yeah. her at the news station and, uh, you know, her piece of shit boss, Kevin McCarthy, just like, oh, what a bitch. Like, she sucks at her job, blah, 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 whatever. It feels like the whole movie, everyone is completely laughing at them for having feminine traits and oh that's a handicap to be you guys and oh look yeah. you're just pieces of meat whatever this movie and is i a... think that plays really well because it doubles down on the thought of being prey yeah this movie is a fascinating display of like it's crazy like it's like a movie about toxic toxic masculinity before that was like even a thing was... yeah and even toxic marcia entity whatever the fuck marcia <laughs> is i yes. marcia is not giving off i mean it's super powerful feminine it's whatever marsha's giving off it's toxic that's a bad way to live your oh, life yeah. it's i mean but this just... this is the argument i had with amy when we were watching it she's like that's so gross like that girl would be gross everyone would see her and know she's gross and i was like no i'm sorry i doubled down because i already got in trouble when we watched fatal attraction right because i told amy i'm like yeah i think glenn close is super hot in that movie <laughs> And Amy's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, she looks like an evil demon. And I was like, yes, that's why guys don't go to, like, church brunches to find affairs. Like, you're looking for the crazy sex demon that might fucking bite your earlobe off Tyson style and, like, snap your dick in half. Like, you're looking for that kind of crazy exotic experience, right? I don't know, man. Marsha's got that in spades. I don't know, dude. Church breakfast might be the perfect place to find someone to have an affair with. Like, no one would ever suspect. Ma'am, I love your capris, white kids, and can I talk to the manager haircut? Can we please never use obscenities and fuck through sheets? No, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. You want the sexual wolf demon. The thing you just described is so hot. No, it's the thing that I see whenever my wife makes me go out for Sunday breakfast. And, like, the church crowd rolls in, and you're like, oh, my God, look at all these dry genital couples. So sad. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, uh, my God, the, the genital drought going on in these couples, and you can just see it. You, you, truly, see it. you truly are living another Joe Dante film, The Burbs. <laughs> you say it, you, I think you say it almost every week we talk about these kinds of movies, and I think you are still living in another Joe Dante film, The Burbs. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, there is a bit of me where I'm essentially like a more curmudgeonly uh, childish version of Tom Hanks in The Burbs. 
But I feel like I'm living in Get Out, but it's just other white people trying to bring me down. Oh, that could be it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's you- a little more Body Snatchers or Stepfords where it's white on white. But like, I watched Get Out, and I was like, when I got to Indiana, I'm like, oh, I get it now. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm back. I get right. it more on a deeper level. Right, right. I'm like, they're trying to take what parts <laughs> of me are unique and fighting the man. But that's like, see, this is the to thing. Put me I- in a fucking golf polo and some fucking white Reeboks, you know? Right. <laughs> This is like the thing that I like about the, and there's another thing like about the movie that I like is instead of normalizing like what happened to her like instead of like trying to just go back to like oh let's go back to our regular lives and everything they're like no you should go to this weird colony up north that like yeah. people are just fucking around at like this is the perfect like coming out of the 70s thing is this like anti cuz basically what it is is it's very anti hippie which is pretty entertaining but you know what I think it does, too, which is cool, because I like your point, which is, like, we just got to get out of here. Yeah. It plays after this really cool scene where she tries to go back on the air because they want her to tell about what happened to her. Right, yeah. <laughs> so they want to monetize her trauma. She begins to have a flashback because it's too soon. Right. They kick her off the air, cut to Kevin McCarthy's editorial, and he just goes, now that's a pro. <laughs> and so there is this, like, Oh, we can't commoditize your physical trauma. Uh, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, like let's so find it does feel else like do. that society's also discarding her, and then her husband's kind of mad because she can't fuck right away. You know what else it's I really like, like about it's a lot of weight on her shoulder as a victim. The other thing I really like about like Christopher Stone's character, her husband, is it, and they point it out really early on. And again, this is just like a great movie about like how fucking terrible misogyny has been forever. But like he immediately brings up the fact that she won't take his last name. Like, that's, like, one of my all-time favorite, like, this might be one of my all-time favorite, like, fuck you misogyny beats, is uh, he said, like, they're basically, they're in the middle of, like, the stakeout room with the world's worst police, and they're all, like, going down the list. <laughs> and she fucking, and he, like, basically, like, brings, like, what's her name? And, like, he says, like, oh, it's uh, Karen uh, Karen White. And he goes, oh, it's not your last name. She goes, no. She uh, kept her name. I'm like, dude. Fuck off, man. <laughs> like, this is... And it also sets him up perfectly for later in the movie for being such an abnormal piece of shit. Like, your wife's been through this horrible trauma. She's been through fucking bullshit after bullshit. You take her to this colony and there's still more shit going on. And you're just gonna fucking terrorize her, essentially. Because that's yeah, what... Well, like, even before thing, right, anything supernatural happens. How does it reflect happens. on him? Yeah, How exactly. does her journey reflect on him? He's like, I even grew the mustache as disguise... I have to go hunting with the boys so I can be a man. Stop fucking <laughs> nagging me. Right. That was one of the best lines, too, when she's uh, like, yeah. I need to talk to you. When he's on the way to the hunt. Yeah. And he's yeah. just trying so hard to be one of the guys. And the old timer leans back and he's like, this is a rabbit hunt, not a cooch hunt. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. That was like a fucking insane. I'm like, yeah. God damn. How did we get away with this for so long? Like, you know, what's funny. It immediately transported. It's like. Yeah, that's exactly something that my dad would have said to me when I was a kid. Right. Oh, yeah, like, totally. It's just, it's such a different time. But you're like, it does help. It's one of those weird things where the bad behavior of, like, men in the culture yeah. will continue to make this movie more powerful as it ages. It's like one of the rare times where bad behavior is going to be a plus for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's just amazing, man. Like... Because, again, like, it sets up everything so perfectly because it starts with this guy on TV hawking his, you know, 
peddling his wares, hawking his shitty book about like he's talking about like the beast within and so on and so forth. You see this horrible trauma happen to Karen. They go to this colony where they're supposed to be like kicking back and kind of like, you know, getting back in touch with themselves as just people and maybe even as a couple. But obviously things take this horrible supernatural turn and change so much. But really what the mm-hmm. what it does is again like speaks to this bigger overarching metaphor about like how the beast within all of us is what really runs the show. Like, or I mean like, especially for mainly for men, like once you like get, you know, men, the room to be assholes, like they're just going to be assholes forever, which, you know, can be true, which is terrible. Also can't be, but you know, let's be honest. Most men are idiots and don't know how to regulate that shit anyways. But that's like the fun of this whole thing is you get like, like you were saying, like 48 minutes into this movie with no supernatural shit. But things are happening you're like that is fucked up like there is some fucked up shit going on right here like we're in a colony where everyone's hanging out and having cookouts and partying and like everyone's still like eh, women go make the women food we'll go hunting like fucking yeah. amazing well, they, they have about two moments at the colony that really play strong to me right so there's that visceral scene of them trying to get her to relive her trauma so she can unlock her memory of it which right is- yeah it's just hard to watch, right? It's like you feel like you're being re-traumatized by that scene, which I was like, and D. Williams just fucking nails it. It's really good performance, man. I really like that moment. But then they also have the uh, the old man on the beach moment I found shockingly poignant. Where I was like, wow, man, look at this old guy. When like they show up and he's just like, I just want to die. I'm so fucking old and I hate it. Like Even being a cool beach hippie is not enough. Right. And he's over it, right? Yeah, and they kind of go to go away from him, and then they come back, and there's this great shot of him just sitting there looking around, and he's kind of got this giant shadow on the wall behind him from the campfire, and he looks over, and there's a young couple kissing and making out. There's another couple frolicking, whatever. Right, and then he just looks down into the flames, and he tries to jump in the fire. He's just like, "I'm fucking over it, man. Like I want to die." And the doc's just like, "Chill out, chill out. Go back to your cabin." And the others are like, oh, he's just a fucking crazy. That's what he does. But I was like, man, imagine this guy. Like, this is his last resort trying to figure it out. And he's just surrounded by other people getting better and making steps and bonding. And he just still feels so lonely and sad. And the way they shot it was really, really fucking engaging. Like, you just want to give this guy a hug so bad. I was like, that's a really awesome moment. Like, I really, really enjoyed that moment. So they, they do a lot to pull you through, right? When you meet Marsha, obviously, you're like, Oh damn! Like this is like scary, uh, you know, Spider Woman one hundred and one. Like right, yeah, this yeah. lady is so fucking intense right off the bat. What was <laughs> what's Karen's line like after uh, he's like gone for the night or some shit? Karen's lines like walk past you like a bitch in heat, and I'm like, fuck, yeah, shit's going down. It's it's just a great like. They had so many. I've actually. I looked at my notes. I have so many of those written down. Yeah, like they have some fucking like, killer lines. <laughs> when she has the flashback at the news station and she like loses it, and they pull her out, and they're like, "What's wrong with her?" And the station manager's like, "I don't know. She's probably pregnant." <laughs> like, wipe the seat off. Let's get on with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just so crazy. <laughs> and then, but that's Marsha's opening line, which I yeah. liked. Right when he's, she's like, "Hey, I'm, I'm Bill. I'm looking for my wife," and she just goes, "Why?" Yeah. And I was like, man, in one word, I totally know where this is going, and I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that intro a lot. You get to it, like, oh, so, like, and, 
like this is the thing is it takes a minute even in the colony too for like something supernatural to happen. Like the first thing that happens is like uh uh her husband Bill gets uh, it's Bill right her husband Bill gets like swiped by a werewolf and you don't see yeah. who, what well, it this is. is after so he goes with a rabbit to Marsha to have her cook it right because he does not cook it and she immediately just like is like let's fuck and he's like ah. Like you're He's not like, cooking, oh, yeah, yeah. but no, actually, wait, I like that's not what he does because Bill is the thirstiest motherfucker. Yeah, because Marsha comes at him and he immediately he dives in on the kiss, right? Yeah, for like a minute, and he's like, "I got enough to jerk off to tonight." And he's like, "How dare you!" And he storms out indignantly. But he was totally down and thirsty for that kiss, like he was so ready. And as he leaves, then he's hit by a wolf, which kind of leads us to this. Oh, these two events are probably related. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, and also, he's not killed. He's just kind of scratched, which seems weird. Right. So I mean, he, this was some kind of wild beast attack. You'd think this would be like a meal, right? Well, because it happens. But it's just a, a scratch. Yeah. So then, and again, like, then we get to, and I, so we get like to the next night or whatever, and he goes and finally like decides to fuck Marsha, and like they do it. Uh, After he pulls the, oh, I'm just a little nauseous. So he doesn't fuck his wife, who is trying to heal sexually, and he's wanted to bang her the whole time. So he kind of been a little short about you're not on my schedule. And then he's like, oh, my tum tum. She goes to bed, and it's almost they do it as if he's like lured out into the woods. No, he did it of his own volition. But he he knows they kind of get to like, oh, he has heightened senses, and he can tell Marsha's out there. So then she goes, he goes to Marsha. They fuck by the fire by the campfire, and this is like. So this is the first transformation scene, and I fucking love this transformation. Yeah, this is like they're, one of they're my all- werewolf hard-ons. It's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's the thing that I love the most about this is they really are playing up like, like it's awesome. I, I even wrote it down. Like the way I the way I had it in was like the transformation scene. Like what I like is that it's mis- it's mixing the at- actual metaphor for the movie of what werewolves are supposed to represent with this like literal interpretation because it's basically. As the further and further they get in and the further, the deeper and deeper they get into just balling each other, the more they transform into werewolves. And then finally it ends with like, this is something that I loved in the eighties that they can't, they don't need to do anymore. But like basically to make things smooth out, they used to just animate these things. And I, I, I I fucking, (laughs) the red outline cartoon werewolf. I fucking adore this thing though. Like that's like a really wonderful time capsule of like a time where like, Hey, we are making this work by making it this, and like it's like it reminds me like a Don Bluth, or like Ralph Bakshi movie, but like basically, <laughs> like yeah, like so they finally like animate them turning into wolves, and then it pans up to the moon. I'm like, this movie kicks ass. Well, I love I he's love getting it. the fangs and drooling, and it's like a gagoosh, gagoosh, gagoosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like as soon as it's he- like an O face into a, like a cartoon hell. <laughs> Oh, and I was so like, hell good. yeah, wolf oh. orgasm. As soon as that happens, <laughs> Also, though. you know what's weird about that part? Is I'm like, unusual choice to have them not in doggy style. So, like, when those <laughs> things are in fully dog form, they're like in missionary still as he does the Oh, I the didn't even howl. think of that. God damn it. They, they animate missionary. I was like, whoa, wow. way to go against the grain. Wow. Doggy style would have been a classic. Joe Dante, it. not a guy who fits into one not box. the same amount of intimacy. They had right. to look at each other to see their monstro- monstrosities being pulled out. If it's doggy ah, style, yeah. you can just fucking pound real hard and gagoosh and just walk away. 
There's no uh, kind of uh, sympathy, emotional it bridge. Like this, it's this. It's this visual connection. It's it's amazing. Like I just what it is I is they're they're both in the act, and this is what the howling does. Right, is everyone is transitioning in a moment of caving into their worst inner monsters. Right, right. Because this is something else they do, where they're like, oh, a good lycanthrope can change it will. Right, right. And so this one is much more about when you succumb to your your worst instincts. This is when the wolf comes out. Right. So they are mutually, knowingly in an affair now. And, yeah, that's why they start getting the the hairy, sweaty, gagoosh face. Right. So, but what I love, so this, yeah, this happens literally like 48 minutes into the movie. And then from there, it is like off to the races nonstop. It's yeah. awesome. I love it. But I will say, so that part's cool. It's a great transformation scene. However... And I love the Robert Picardo one later, but my favorite transformation is after she fucking slices that dude's hand off. Yes. Oh, oh my, my god. god! I the arm fucking, fucking loved melting it. back into a human hand is so really fucking cool. Awesome. So awesome. Well, also it's like that girl too because she's just meandering around the woods and she's like. Oh, a home in the woods that's main decor feature is dead things and bones. I better snoop around. I'm like, you fucking fool. You deserve to get eaten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like her and Dennis Dugan are like this investigating team trying to find like werewolves, basically. It, it's, yeah. I mean, it's a great like subplot to get it's like. It's a good little B plot to get yeah, us like the it's basics. It's to get Karen help. Need. Like that's really kind of what it's there for. And it's fun. Like it's fine. But like. The star of the shows, though, or the stars of the show are these are the colony, like turning into werewolves and doing all this other shit. Like, I think one of my favorite one of my favorite like werewolf moments is uh, they're not even werewolves, but it's the one guy who was like cooking when the colony like when they first meet the colony. Dennis Dugan's got his like fucking uh, his fucking shotgun loaded up with uh, silver bullets. And the guy's like, silver bullet my ass. And fucking, and this, Dennis Duke just fucking Eddie. shoots him. He's all like acid zombie Eddie. No, no, it was the blonde guy. That, well, that, he's the first one who gets shot in the office. Right. He gets shot in the he, office. he like gives him the gun back and it puts it on his chest like, come on, man. Yeah. You know you get this. Well, he, he comes back and then like he has that. I didn't, I didn't know this until I read the, like, uh, some of the trivia, but Robert Picardo actually improvised that line when he meets Karen in the office. And he's like, I want to give you a piece of my mind and pulls the fucking bullet out of his head. Oh yeah. Improvised nice. line. Like, fuck. Yes. That's some fucking, that's, that's magic right there, man. <laughs> that's a really cool transformation. And I then love I love that, that she lets him get all the way transformed and then just hits him with a big old jar. ass. <laughs> yes. I'm like, you maybe could have done that when he was like in normal zombie form, but Still, good thinking. Yeah, good, you know, whatever. Uh, during the shockingly long transformation interlude, good thinking. Did you know that uh, entire... Here's a cool thing they did that I liked a lot, right? Which is right after that, Bill gets caught cheating. Yeah. Because he has back scratches, right? Right, right. And as soon as he's confronted, within about 30 seconds, he's like, what's my best play to get out of this? Oh, I better fucking smack the shit out of my wife. <laughs> yes. It's Smacks her and then tries to play like, a, oh, why'd you make me do that? Yeah. I don't think we see him in human form the rest of the movie. No, I don't think. We I do think either. he's full wolf until he is killed and reverts back into Bill. That's so. It's like in that moment he loses his humanity for the rest of the right. movie. I was like, that's a really cool, just kind of. That's cool, yeah. Reinforcing it's, what's it's going correct. on in the movie. Yeah, I cool beat. I had forgotten that that happened, and I like I was watching it, and uh, my wife was getting ready for work, and we were watching it. And I was like, oh shit! And he's like, what? And I'm like. That werewolf guy just smacked the shit out of her. And he goes, she was like, 
fucking men and walked out. I'm like, that's what everyone in the movie's <laughs> saying right now. Like, <laughs> it's it's such a great beat. And yeah, you're right. Like, it plays totally into how this movie presents like what werewolf and like like what lycanthropy is supposed to be for like everyone. Like, like I love I love the metaphors in this movie. Because they're very yeah. direct and very obvious, but at the same time, like the way we're talking about it, you can you can evolve that a little bit and you can make it a little mm-hmm. better. Like I love everything about how that works visually and, and metaphorically. It's a lot of fun. But Yeah, well just at the end when they take her to the the barn, right? Yeah. It's just cool to be like, Oh my god, look at all these different weird people that are now turning feral werewolf. Right. Um I think the one thing I didn't fully understand is I was like what is their plan here as these wolves? Cause this was actually kind of one of the cool conflict moments where doc Judas is preaching to unleash your inner beast. Right. But he seemingly is trying to control all the other werewolves. Right. So they turn on him yeah. and uh, the old man even has that line. You can't tame what's not meant to be tamed, doc. It ain't natural. Right. And they just immediately are like, fuck you doc. And they're taking over. Right. Cause it does seem like they're trying to build this werewolf cult, right? To go back to us as their cattle. Yeah. And that through like hippies and this and that, they can just grow their numbers and fucking try to take over. Right. So that was kind of a cool power dynamic. And I love Doc Judas's line when he all of a sudden starts storming towards the now silver bullets that he knows. Right. And he gives the little growl and he gets shot. And he just goes, thank God. And he dies. Maybe he it, was- and they, they, they go to that most classic of, oh, my curse is lifted now. Right. That these people clearly are mutinying against me. Then fuck it. It's interesting, like, I mean, because conceivably the guy who's saying, like, unleash your inner beast, but then, like, trying to tame these people by, I mean, really by putting them all in a colony together, he's, I mean, there's some way where he's essentially trying to save them from themselves. So you're yeah. wondering, like, is there something that we don't know? Or, or that is he, does? he, though? That, that's right. The problem, that's the I other guess, part right? of it. Is he, though, like, is, or is he, like, consolidating power? It's very possible. Well, he's so quickly, as soon as they turn on him, he's like, ah, fuck it. I'd rather die. Right, right. Like, that's a, that is a fast turn into suicide. Yeah. It's, it's pretty dramatic. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, uh, it's quick. I didn't expect because he's clearly not as in as like uh, the Marsha Hills have eyes family. <laughs> right. Like they're all the way down for that life, the right, werewolf right. life. I uh, yeah, I don't. I just I like the end with the monster madness. You know, the fiery barn and them fighting out. Super great. It just plays visually fun. I like when they kill Bill there at the end, and you see him turn back into a man. This you know he just he couldn't survive his lesser demons. Yeah. There's uh but it is the ending of this movie that is fucking yeah. pure magic to there, me. There's one thing that happens in this there's t- actually two things that happen in this movie. One is at the end they're uh doing the before the before D Wallace gets her beat, uh they're doing the news report about some fire that's still raging. I'm like Yeah. Yep, that makes the sense. The barn fire actually causes like a huge <laughs> California wildfire. <laughs> that was, was like, well that plays. Good good for them. <laughs> like that's like that's like perfect like landing it in the real world beat. And then the other yeah. thing is um what happens Dennis Dugan's on his way up to the colony and he has to stop for gas. And it's like it's a very quick moment, but it's like <laughs> this guy yeah, they're like the the overburdened dad who's on a vacation he doesn't really want to be yeah. on. This dude's on like a Buick Skylark and he's feeling he's like, Hey man, you almost done? He goes, Easy, Mr. Mazda. I know you're real fancy. I was like, Wow. Yeah. When was Not the last time that was Mazda. said? Mazda. Mazda. 
When's the last time? Like, my mom drives a Mazda. Like, when's the last time that was said? Like, easy, fancy guy. I know your Mazda needs to get filled with yeah, special well, gas. What they're, what they're doing is the Batman thing, right? Either you die a werewolf or you live long enough to find yourself a Mazda. <laughs> Uh, those are the two things that I think are really, really fun and noted, but particularly the wildfire thing, because it really grounds this into the real world before we get this other thing, which is just amazing. Cause it's but that dad is a great beat, too. I'm glad you brought that up, because it's just a great example of this movie just doesn't waste any on-screen time. No. no. Like, everyone who's on there gets a shot to do something cool. Yeah. Even Cor- yeah, Corman. Like... Apparently, I didn't know this, but uh, so Corman's beat in the very beginning, the cameo, his first thing he does when he gets in is he um, checks the coin. He checks the The coin return for change, (laughs) which apparently is like something they were doing because, you know, he's a legendary penny pincher. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty clever. That was really nice. (laughs) We got to talk about this ending, though, which might be one of my all time favorite movie endings. It's actually it's kind of a hard-edged satire version of Network. Yes. Yes. Big time. Yeah. Dee Wallace goes on and she's tells, she tells Dennis Dugan, she's like, I, they need to know. They need to see. They need to believe. Like, seeing is believing. And so they do this whole bit where basically she – it's revealed that she was essentially bitten. So she starts to transform to, yeah. into a werewolf on camera. And everyone's like freaking out, like, oh my God. In well, the she, studio. She starts off by she's reading this like monologue. Right. It's not yeah. what the prompter is. And Kevin McCarthy and uh, him have this super, beat, like, getting like super pissed. Switch the camera. Don't fucking switch it. Yeah. And so she starts. What I like about this moment is this is the moment he wanted her to have all along, but he's trying to go away from it because she's doing it in her way. Right. He wants the show me the meat, right? Like right. open yourself up and expose your trauma for all of us to enjoy. And she goes for it, yeah. right? And she starts transforming. But what they do, the extra beat that makes it so fucking good is when they begin to cut away to people watching her transform. Yes. Oh, my God. It's so great. That's like that's what makes this scene extra, right? Because if she just transforms, oh, she, she transformed and sacrificed herself and alerted people, very heroic, whatever. When you start cutting to people not believing what she's doing it it is a next level of oh my god that is tragic yeah that's <laughs> that's the thing that i love the most about it is just like through each there's at least like they go to a bar they go to uh i love the one with the kids like where they're watching it and like the kids and the mom's like in the background going like what's going on and, like the lady's turning into a werewolf on tv nobody right. cares like no, they're all just like look at the effects, but it's awesome too because they have that great below shot that makes her look fucking menacing and powerful yeah. of her eyes. Uh huh. Yeah. And she looks up, and you're like, this is the first time we've seen this character kind of take charge and be powerful right, since yeah. her assault. It's a really beautiful thing she's doing. But then, yeah, and no one's buying it. They're just like, ah, that's fucking horseshit, whatever. And then they eventually shoot her. Yeah. On air. Yeah. And then uh, the producers just. Go to commercial, and they cut to a dog food commercial. <laughs> yes, they cut to this. Oh my! They God. cut to a dog food commercial, <laughs> and then they cut to a bar, and there's a guy in the bar who goes, "Man, best special effects I've ever seen on TV." Yeah. Like, All right, that guy. Didn't, and then you drift a little further down the bar, and there's fucking Marsha, 
who orders a burger and they, she just goes, how did you like it cooked? Rare. Yeah. End of movie. And probably one of the Except funnier. For like a long, long shot of just of the, a burger <laughs> sitting on the griddle. <laughs> that might be one of the funnier things I've seen them like decide to end a movie on is a long extended shot of a burger being grilled. And that's it. Like the credits. All roll. it's saying it with that shot is just we're all meat. Yeah. This is how we're all going to end up. Because it's so great to take that heroic moment of power and taking control and taming her inner beast or using it for her good. Because when she turns, she actually looks kind of like a Care Bear, like a mutant Care Bear. Oh, I thought she looked like she looks like a Chihuahua, like a like a Pekingese or something. Right, Weird. it's a little more adorable. Yeah, still creepy, but adorable yeah, than yeah. like the big monstrosity wolves. So they're letting us know that there's something more noble and peaceful about her. Whatever. The fact that people just like, oh, that's your truth. Fuck you. <laughs> right, right. That's, it's an extra level of tragedy, man. And you just know, like, oh my god, the werewolves are getting away with it. They can still be out there. Marsha's still out there, just waiting to eat us all. Right, we're all that burger. Yeah. Uh, it's a cool fucking ending, man. It, it's a really because that's all. Most of these movies devolve into we're fighting werewolves. They all have to die so that one of us can run away bloodied, whatever. This is a more interesting way to wrap this kind of movie up to me. Of all the werewolf movies we've watched, I think this is the most interesting third act of all of them. Oh, 100%. Like this one has the most. I mean, I think this is. Besides maybe Ginger, definitely Ginger Snaps had its. Point I like of view. Ginger Snaps Third Act a lot too. Ginger Snaps Third Act's great, but this one has probably the most pointed social commentary of all. Yeah, of them. like this but one. Ginger is Snaps very also specific. ends with the uh, "I defeated the beast and now I am the last man standing." Right. Right. They all kind of play on that. This one, it's the werewolf nobly trying to throw itself on the cause to save humans, man. It, and it just doesn't work out. Like you get a feeling like it doesn't move the needle at all. It's extra sad. This movie, yeah. This, what is your final wrap up, right? If you had to give like a brief, like total summation of what you garnered from this and why you would recommend it to others, what do you got? I would rec. I mean, this movie is just such a it's such a wonderful werewolf movie because it doesn't it doesn't play to your expectations. It does, and then it throws them out the door. Like that's the thing. If you want to be surprised by a werewolf movie and be surprised by something that maybe you didn't expect to have any sort of long-term social commentary to it because really it's very relevant to now uh that's what i love about the howling is it's just it's it's interesting it's fun it's got comedy and horror it has all the wonderful bits that you want but it also has this sort of unexpected uh quality of social awareness it's really interesting Mm. it's really worth watching and then it's just a good horror movie like you just you lock in you're there it's fun i love it yeah i mean it starts off as this really good just character drama of this lady going through bullshit with a nice little B plot of, Oh, maybe there's a serial killer werewolf, whatever, but it's just kind of like getting us through, but they, they wait a long time before they give you that. This is what you want, right? Is the constant werewolf melee, right? But they make you wait a long time and really bond in with this character and her struggle. And then the end, they're like, now we'll double up on werewolf madness to, so it feels like it levels out. Yeah. And then, yeah, just a really interesting closing uh, image and a really interesting way to close that even sometimes when we expose our inner selves and our truth and become vulnerable, man, that that could just be a weakness. That can just get us killed and do nothing for anyone. Uh, it To me, it's just, yeah, it's 
it's just made with love. The werewolves are fucking great. The characters are great. So many good small performances uh, and just great actors that, you know, maybe are not as well known and big as others, but really fucking take their shots in this movie. Yeah. Um, to me, yeah, it's just it plays as a horror movie. It has, you know, some good character drama. If you're not as into the blood and guts, it's just it really hits you across the board. Um, it's just it's, it's such a fun uh, kind of sandbox to play in that's just filled with so much stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just a fun movie. Like, there's no reason not to watch it, especially if you like this genre of film. Like, that's this right. has everything you need. And, like, it's, it's – it's, I think what I like the most is it doesn't leave anyone out. Like, you can grab literally anything. If you're a kind of movie – if you're the kind of person who likes watching a movie for steeped metaphor, it's got that. If you're the kind of movie – if you're the kind <laughs> of person – It's got a lot of that. If you're the kind of person who just likes watching movies for great special effects, it's got that. If you're the kind of guy who just likes watch – if you're kind of the person who just likes watching older horror films and sort of relishing in this, like, era where Joe Dante-ness was part of, like, our culture – this is a great example. Like, this was the second movie he did, I think, after Piranha. So, like, he had done Piranha and then immediately did this movie. And uh, John Sales wrote it. Like, these are the kinds of things, like, this is what informs so much of movies, I think, that come out now. Because Joe Dante wasn't afraid of satire and he wasn't afraid of understanding and subverting genre. It's why movies like Cabin in the Woods exist. This is a great example of a movie. The, yeah, th this is like definitely that. one of those touchstone early 80s movies that set the tone for a lot of the non-slasher stuff to yeah, come. It's what makes And even those some palatable. of the slasher stuff, you oh, can absolutely. see uh, links to that. But th this feels like one of those people saw this movie and they're like, oh, the game has changed. Yeah, absolutely. Like seeing this in American Werewolf in one year, like, I mean, for werewolf guys, that has to be like, remember when the White Album came out? <laughs> <laughs> this is the werewolf White Album year, guys. Oh, man. Yeah, definitely 1981 was the year. I love this Yes, movie. guys, that is The Howling. I hope you guys loved it as much as us, man. Grab a friend. Uh, don't go to a colony. Just stay home. <laughs> Just stay home and definitely watch stay it together. Home. Yeah, and be nice to them if they're a girl. Come on, guys. We can do better. Um, yeah, let your inner beast out together in your own, the privacy of your own home, like adults, like nice adults without using your beast to prey on others. Um, if you like this movie and you know someone else who would, share it with them, man. Share the show with them. Share this episode. Share that movie, guys. Uh, we want to use this podcast in an ideal way to just connect with you guys through these movies we all love and have more interesting conversations. In an ideal world, this podcast should feel like uh, we all just get together as buddies and watch movies now and again and then shoot the shit about them. That's what we're trying to create. And the more you guys feel ownership of the show and partake in helping us uh, mold it, I think the, the deeper that bond will be for all of us, man. Agreed. I hope all of you watched this movie with the amount of fervor that I did because, honestly, I mean, like, early Joe Dante is just – that is the sweet spot, man. Even, like this is before Gremlins. Yeah. it's it means a lot to me because you don't love horror movies, so when you really like one, it makes me very happy. <laughs> True, it was definitely yeah, a guys. Endeavor. Uh, so yeah, that's the th third of our four yeah. inner beast unleashed. I don't know. We're gonna try to add Wolf. We'll see. We definitely have American Werewolf in London. We'll see if we add another. We don't know. We might get crazy here before Alex takes some baby hiatus. Oof. Um. 
Also going to the theater to see us. Also going to see Pet Cemetery. So slot these movies in, guys. Yes. Um, you can follow us on Letterboxd. We have a Film Alchemist podcast list that lets you know all the movies we've covered and what we will be covering. So plenty of ways for you guys to stay involved with us. Share, rate, subscribe, review, all that good shit. Uh, but most of all, man, just keep watching movies with us. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Don't. Be a Marsha? Question mark. Don't be a Marsha. Wait, let's have a final ruling. This will be our last sentence. On the count of three, be a Marsha, yes or no? One, two, three. Yes. No. <laughs> okay, baby. I don't know. I think I'm a pro Glenn Close and Marsha kind of guy at this point. <laughs> Hide your husbands. Order your burgers medium rare. Don't eat them rare. <laughs>